I got a lot of things that I want to talk about this morning, but I'm limited to just a couple of things that I think are really, really essential for you this morning. I, I want to talk about several things, and one of the things that I, I, this time of year is my favorite time of year. Anyone else like this time of year? I mean, the last couple of days in particular... Perfect weather. I think heaven is going to be kind of like this low humil humility. Low humidity. <laughs> 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 low, boy, I just humbled myself right there. Low humidity, cool evenings, just perfect weather. And, and I like this kind of weather. I like this, this time of year. But how many of you also know what's coming? Yeah. <clears throat> Christmas. Florida, yeah, right, the snowbirds, Arizona, Florida, yeah, that's coming, praise God. Oh, no, that's <laughs> fur hats, yes, exactly, or some people have skunk hats, but regardless, it's, uh, it's fur, I guess, and uh, yeah, winter is coming, and how many of you have, like, preparation stuff that you do for winter? You know, get the snowblower tuned up, find your shovel, get it out, put the rake away, you know, clean it. How many of you have winter clothes and summer clothes? Shelly has that. She's like, oh, I hate this. I got to put away my summer clothes. It's like, I just have closed clothes. Actually, I have small, medium, and large clothes, you know, <laughs> depending on what stage of life I'm in, fully rounded or not, you know, kind of, actually, I'm like now, past, I don't have small anymore. I have like medium, large, and extra large, and sweat, stretchy pants, you know, <laughs> anyway, so anyway, uh, we have those kinds of things, and so, was that you over there? Who's clapping? Oh, you were laughing. I see. I thought you were clapping because I was fat. I thought I missed out on a fat joke. <laughs> so anyway, we, we're, we're doing some preparation and getting ready. I have one more question for you. How many of you have the gene, the cleaning gene, the gene that like everything has a place, place for everything, all of those kinds of things, and, and you like to clean, you need to make sure everything's clean. How many of you have that? Because this time of year, you know, you're switching things around. You're, you know, the garage has got to get ready. All those other things and stuff that used to be outside can't be outside anymore, which is sad to me. So how many of, that, how many of you are again? Because my wife is a sweeper. I mean, you know, one of her favorite gifts at Christmas time, somebody gave her a broom. I'm not kidding you. I wish we still had the picture. Steph took a picture of her. <laughs> Shelly was on the roof, sweeping the roof one time. Because we had all these whirly birds up there and they were in the gutters and all kinds of stuff. So she's sweeping off the roof. And of course, the how did you get up there? And it's like, well, she flew. But anyway. <laughs> you won't hear another thing. You cannot wait to go see Shelly and tell her what Pastor Brian said. I know you because you squeal on me all the time. She, She's heard that joke a thousand times, trust me. So anyway, uh, she's a sweeper. She loves to sweep. She likes to clean up things. I have kind of like the, the gene that says we'll get to it eventually. You know, when the snow's flying, then we're going to, you know, then we'll get the stuff off the patio and we'll take care. I'm just kind of that way. I'm more big picture, not real detail-oriented. I am kind of detail-oriented at times. Pastor John, I'm detail-oriented, aren't I, sometimes? All right. Yes. <laughs> Maybe I'm not. Maybe I'm not. Forget about the broom thing. You can't forget about the broom thing. All right, good. Well, sweep that out, sweep that out of your mind, and uh, let's, let's move on with the, this whole message this morning. So anyway, times of preparation that we're in, and, and the reason I say that is <clears throat> because I, I, I want to use that idea that we're all familiar with as, as seasons change, then we're preparing for the season that is upon us, the season that is coming. And in Minnesota, you know, we have the advantage of a lot of different seasons. We have, you know, fall and winter and spring and summer and 
and all of those, pardon? Yeah, right, winter and road construction, yeah, exactly that. But anyway, so, so we have that anticipation and that preparation for the season that is coming. And, and I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but God also had preparation for seasons that are coming. And, and I want to just share some of those things with you, at least from my perspective, because God is meticulous in his planning. God is meticulous in his purpose and in his preparation. And, and in that meticulousness, of creation. You know, God created the Garden of Eden, and we see God planning in a lot of the things that he does in, 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 in life. And so, there is the meticulousness that God did when he created the Garden of Eden, the experience that humanity had in the garden. And it was in that garden that God began to implement his purpose and his plan. He created this garden. He put Adam and Eve into the garden and he, he said, I want you to be fruitful. I want you to multiply. I want you to fill the earth with people who are just like you, who've been created in my image and in my likeness. And it was in that garden that God would come in the cool of the day and he would fellowship with, with Adam and with Eve and they would become one and he would share with them and he would talk with them. And I don't know what they would do, but they would, obviously they would probably have a great time. I mean, you know, what could be better than being in a beautiful garden, 75 degrees, no humidity, very low humidity, just beautiful. God said, I've created trees for you to eat from and trees for beauty. I've created the heights of the mountains and the depths of the sea for you to explore, for you to experience, for you to appreciate. But more importantly, I've given you myself and I'm dwelling with you. I'm among you. I want to be with you. And we all know what happened that in that, in that garden, <clears throat> the Bible tells us that Satan came in the form of a serpent and Adam and Eve sinned. They fell away and then God banished them from the garden. And that begins some preparation that God has for all of humanity because God's heart has always been to restore humanity, to put humanity back at peace with himself. It's always been his heart. I, I always love at Christmas time, he is Emmanuel, God with us. That is the heart of God. God wants to be with you. Look at the person next to you and say, God's greatest desire, that's too many things for you to remember. Look at the person next to you and say, God wants to dwell with you. Look at the person on the other side and say, God wants to be with you. In fact, God wants to be with you more than you want him to be with you. That is his desire. And so we see in the Old Testament that God was preparing. God was preparing humanity for the coming of the Messiah, the coming of Jesus. Because there was a brokenness that was in humanity because of the fall, because of sin, because of what happened in the garden. And, and as we fast forward from the garden just a little bit, we see that, that humanity, to try to fix that brokenness and to try to get back to God, they built this great big tower. And they said, if we could build this big tower, then we would get back to God. And we could, we could, we could have that, that, that place of distinction and relationship with him. And I think one of the best side stories of that tower, we call it the Tower of Babel, because as they were building this tower, God came to see what man was doing, and, and, at least as the Bible says. And, and, and he said, because, I, because the people are one and they all say the same thing, nothing's impossible to them. I think there's a, I think there's a hidden key there, not so hidden perhaps, that if we can ever have a group of people that will say the same thing, believe the same thing, nothing will be impossible. I think that's what the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is supposed to be. That we are supposed to so embrace the culture of the kingdom of God that what we say lines up so much with what God says, what we believe lines up so much with what God says, and we as a people all believe and say the same thing, nothing will be impossible to that body of people. And so God said... 
I see what they're doing, so we're going to confound their language so that they don't say the same thing, so that they cannot understand one another. We move forward just a little bit farther, and God speaks to a man named Abram that we finally know as Abraham. His name was changed, and God says, I'm going to make a covenant or a contract. I'm going to make an agreement with this man, Abraham, and if you will do what I say, then I'm going to bless you. And I'm going to make from you a great and a mighty nation. In fact, such a great nation that all the earth is going to be blessed because ultimately God wants to be a blessing to you and he wants to be a blessing to me. That's what he wants to do. That is his heart. Some, you know, I heard one preacher years ago say his name is El Shaddai. That is the Hebrew name of God. That means he is more than enough. And a lot of people think that his name is El Chipo, that he does not want you to have anything at all. That's not God. And he displayed his heart in this contract, this covenant that he gave to Abraham. And he said, Abraham, if you follow me, and if you do the things that I tell you to do, I will make of you a great nation that will bless all of the earth. Because again, humanity in its broken condition could not receive the blessing of God. And so then as, as we find God begins then to make a promise and he says, I, I want to bring you to a promised land. And actually after the Abrahamic covenant, Israel served God for faithfully for a while, but then they fell into sin and idolatry and all these other things. And they found themselves in Egyptian captivity. Now remember, God is a God of preparation. He is meticulous in his planning. He's meticulous in his preparations and in his, in his purpose. <clears throat> and so... In those things, Israel is now captive in the nation of Egypt, the greatest nation. God sends a deliverer whose name is Moses, and Moses begins to operate according to the plan of God, and he begins to confront and challenge Pharaoh. Miracles happen, signs and wonders happen. Eventually, the nation of Israel is freed from Egyptian captivity. It says that they left, there was no feeble or sickly among them. They left with the gold and the silver, and they journeyed in the wilderness for 40 years because, again, God was proving them. God was testing them. God wanted to prove some things in their life as well as prove who he was. He wanted to take some things out of their life and he wanted to put some things into their lives. And on that journey, God speaks to Moses. Again, trying to fix this brokenness, trying to get people connected with God. And so God gave Moses a list of do's and don'ts of things that you should do. Do these things. Don't do these. We call it the Ten Commandments. And again, if you follow these things, if you do these things, I'm going to give you some rules to live by. And if you will live by these rules, you will be blessed. All of the blessing of the covenant is going to come upon you if you'll do these things. If you don't do them, not going to turn out so well for you. They finally, after 40 years, get into the promised land. They dwell in the promised land. They live there. All kinds of things are going on that are wonderful. All of these are pictures of Jesus. They're pictures of the coming Messiah. And they get into the promised land, and, and, and once again, as, as the heart of humanity is, because there's a brokenness on the inside. There's a brokenness that happened in the fall, and all of humanity suffers in that brokenness that is, in a, part, that is a part of our inside life, in, in, our, in our nature, if you will. And so in the promised land, they finally said, you know what, we, we've got the covenant or the contract, we've got the rules to live by, but you know what we really need, because all the other nations, we need a king. If we just had a king, then we could do what the king said. If we just had a king, then we could be like all the other nations. And all the while, God is like, I want to be your king. I want to be your contract, your covenant, your blessing. Your I want to have that place in your life if you would just let me. 
but because of the brokenness that was there. There was a disconnect, and they, and they just couldn't open up their heart in a way that God wanted them to open up their heart to him. <laughs> and, and in all of those things, there's a brokenness that was in the heart of humanity that gardens, that contracts, that towers, that promised lands and little kings could not fix. Because it was deep down on the inside and, and it wasn't the outward things, it was the inward part that God wanted to fix. And so God sent prophets into the land and they began to, they began to express the desire of God to send the Messiah or Jesus who would be the redeemer. And these prophets began to speak. Again, in preparation for the season that was about to visit planet earth. And these prophets began to speak about the one who would come, that, that you know, he shall be great and, and, and the kingdom will rest upon his shoulders. He will be the prince of peace and he will be powerful. He will be the lamb of God and he will remove sin from the world. He will be the one that will take out the stony heart that's on the inside and he will put in replace of that stony heart a heart that is beating, alive. It is warm and fleshy as, as the word says. Something that's living. He said, God, God wants to bring change into the heart of humanity. That's what his purpose and that's what his plan has always been. He wants to reconnect humanity with himself. He wants to be God with us. But because of the brokenness that's in the heart of humanity, because of those things, as the prophets would tell, as the people would speak, humanity, this world was plunged into 300 years 400 years. No, 300 years. How many years of silence? Was it three or four? 400 years. This is just a quick test for Pastor Tim. Make sure he was tracking with me this morning. I don't know why I didn't look at you. Yeah, Gordy said something. I just thought you were lipping off. <laughs> no. God is meticulous in his planning. God is meticulous in what he does, in his planning, in his purpose, in, in all of the things that he wants to do. But he needs people to cooperate with him. He needs to work through people. I want you to see that this morning, that all of his planning, all of his preparation, all of his purpose required people to respond to him. And finally, he sends another prophet whose name is John the Baptist. That's who we know him as, John the Baptist. And we see this in Matthew chapter 3 and verse 1. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah saying, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John the Baptist came with a message of repentance, but also came with the, with the message that I am going to prepare. My job is to prepare the way of the Lord. My job is to help people realize that the Messiah, the one who is going to fix the problem of humanity is on the scene and he is coming and you need to repent and you need to be removed from your sins. And now John the Baptist did not look like the religious elite people of the day. 
John dressed differently. He probably spoke differently. He wasn't educated the way that the Pharisees and the Sadducees were educated. He was ministering in the wilderness where the, the priests would minister in the temple and all of those other things that would go on. He, he, did, he wasn't like those religious elite people of the day, but it didn't matter because God had empowered him. God had anointed him and God said, your job, your purpose, your reason for existence is to prepare the way of the Messiah, to prepare the way of the Lord. And you see, the world was seeing a similar pattern play out. God was seeing it play out. This idea that if we just follow the rituals, if we just follow the do's and the don'ts, regardless of our heart, if we just follow those things, then that's all we need to do because that was the message that the religious leaders were giving. We see it all through the New Testament. We see it when the Apostle Paul and others were trying to establish churches that religious people from, from Jerusalem would come in and say, that's great that you're a follower of Christ, but now you need to follow and keep the Ten Commandments. You need to be a doer of the law also. Even though you, you weren't Jewish, even though you weren't under the law, you need to keep the law. And if you keep the law, then you'll be a Christian. And Paul was like, absolutely not. You're a Christian because of faith in Christ and no other reason at all. It's not the worst. It's not building a tower to God. It's not you doing works to get to God. It is God who has broken down every barrier and come to you. And it is by simple faith that you make Jesus the Lord of your life and you become a follower or you become a new creation in Christ and the old things have passed away. But God was doing something brand new. And that was John's message is that God is doing something new and you need to repent, you need to turn, and you need to be a follower of Jesus. In fact, Jesus' ministry called the religious leaders out on that, that idea. He, he, he was speaking to the religious elite and he said, you know what, guys, on the outside, you look great. You're like a, a tomb. Actually, he used the word sepulcher, a tomb. He said, on the outside, you're painted. On the outside, you look beautiful. But on the inside, there's nothing but death in you. You're just full of dead men's bones. That's all you got. You have nothing. So God was doing something brand new through, <clears throat> and, and it was the John the Baptist's job to let people know God wanted to fix what was wrong on the inside of people, not the outward part, but the inward part. And so eventually Jesus comes to see John the Baptist, trying to get to this point. John chapter 1 and verse 29. The next day John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. There was a recognition in the spirit of John the Baptist that the Messiah was now here. He was standing in front of him. You are the Lamb of God and your purpose is to make right what was wrong. Your purpose in life is to remove the barrier, to remove the sin so that we can now have fellowship with God. All through the Old Testament, God was preparing. He was planning. He was using people to speak. He was, he was orchestrating the events of life and the events of history and all of those things, but all of them were pointing towards a coming Messiah, a coming Savior, and John the Baptist's job was to say, he's here now. Now he's here. He's among us the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Verse 22, Jesus and his disciples, I'm sorry, John 3, 22, fast forward just a little bit. <clears throat> Jesus and his disciples left Jerusalem and went into the Judean countryside. Jesus spent some time with them there baptizing people. So John the Baptist, Jesus is baptized by John. Now Jesus is, he's left Jerusalem. He's got some people following him. And so now he's baptizing people. At this time, John the Baptist was baptizing at two cities uh, because there was plenty of water there. The people kept coming to him for baptism. So John is baptizing, Jesus is baptizing. 
Verse 24, this was before John was thrown into prison. I don't know why that was important to throw that in there. But anyway, just seems kind of funny to me, that parenthetical statement of, well, uh, this was all before he was in prison. Well, obviously. Anyway, verse 25, a debate broke out between John's disciples and a certain Jew over ceremonial cleansing or water baptism. Here's the tension. You got John on one side of the river. He's baptizing people. He is known as John the Baptist. Baptist. What is his job is to... He was known as John the Baptist, and he was baptizing people. He had a big following. But on the other side of the river, you got this upstart whose name is Jesus. And now he and his disciples are baptizing people. And they're standing across the river looking at each other like, hey, what's going on? Actually, Jesus and John weren't. <laughs> but the followers were. The disciples were. There must have been something going on because somebody came to us and said, hey, what's the deal here? What is this about baptism? What is this about, why, what about John and what about Jesus? You know, it's kind of like, how should we be baptized? The, the one church teaches this, another church teaches that, another church teaches that. What's right? Boy, there's a deep end to jump into. <clears throat> Bring that up at Thanksgiving. <laughs> I thought politics were bad. All right, verse 26. So John's disciples came to him, came to John and said, Rabbi, the man that you met on the other side of the Jordan River, the one that you identified as the Messiah, he's also baptizing people. What? The nerve. John, he's doing what you, he's copying you. You started this whole baptism thing and now this guy... He's, he's copying your ministry. He's taking people away from us and our ministry, and now he's gathering them to, what are you going to do about it, John? I don't know if they said all that, but I think that's what they said. <clears throat> the one that you identified as, as the Messiah is also baptizing people, and everybody is going to him instead of coming to us. You know, some of the greatest fights in churches happen not because ministry doesn't happen, but because ministry doesn't happen the way that it used to happen or ministry doesn't happen the way that they think, people think that it should happen or it does, maybe it's not the right people that are actually doing the ministry. It isn't that ministry doesn't happen. It isn't that the ministry or, 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 or prayer or, or the word of God isn't, isn't going forth. It isn't that God isn't ministering to people. He's just doing it differently. We need to understand that as God transitions, as things happen, as God uses people in the ways that he wants to use people in. Verse 27 says, as John replied, this is so important, no one can receive anything unless God gives it from heaven. I cannot give to you something that I do not have. And you cannot give to others something that you do not have. <clears throat> and what Jesus was saying, I've received, or John was saying, I've received this from God. I've received this from heaven. And I cannot give you anything that I have not yet received or I have not received from God himself. Verse 28, you yourselves know how plainly I told you, I'm not the Messiah. <clears throat> I'm only here to prepare the way for him. My, I have one job. I'm not the one. My job is to point to the one. My job is to point to him. My job is not to be the Messiah. My job is to point people to the Messiah. My job is to prepare the way. My job is to, my job is to make it easier for people to find Jesus, to find the Messiah. Verse 29, it is the bridegroom who marries the bride. And the bridegroom's friend is simply glad to stand with him and hear his vows. I, I just kind of chuckle at this because as a pastor, I've been through a lot of weddings. And I've been through a lot of best man speeches. 
Some are very, very memorable. You know two things that don't mix? Alcohol and best man speeches. <laughs> Actually, alcohol and anything most of the time. But anyway, alcohol, alcohol and dancing can mix sometimes, I guess. But anyway, actually, you just think you dance good. You just look like an idiot still. But anyway, <laughs> you just don't care, which is why the Bible says don't be drunk with wine where it's in excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Anyway, so you don't care what goes on. So anyway, <laughs> I've heard some pretty crazy best man speeches, and that's what, kind of what John is saying. You know, at the wedding, it's not about the best man. It's not about me. It's about the groom and the bride. It is their day. My job is to enjoy it. My job is to point to them. My job is to take any attention off of me and to put it on them because it's their day. It is their time. And that's what John was saying. My job is to take the attention off of me, the focus off of me, and point it to where it belongs. It is to point it to Jesus. He goes on and he says, and I really like this when he says it's the bridegroom who marries the bride. The bridegroom's friend is simply glad to stand with him and hear his vows. Therefore, I am filled with joy at his success. Wow. I'm happy that everybody's going to Jesus. I'm happy. We have such a, <clears throat> because we know the end of the story, we, we've heard so many of these things. We, we kind of already know, you know, Jesus is king of kings. He's Lord, all of those other things. And we just think, well, absolutely, it just makes sense that John would say something like that. But I don't know that we really get into the nitty-gritty of what people were actually feeling. And, and, and not so much John the Baptist, but his disciples. It's like, man, we birthed this ministry. We worked with you. We put up with a lot of stuff. It wasn't like everybody's just falling all over themselves so excited about John the Baptist. There are people that hated him. Eventually, it cost John his life. And these disciples had paid a price to birth the ministry. And now all of a sudden that ministry was going away. And so it was very real pressure and very real tension that they were feeling. And yet John could say, I'm happy at his success. I'm happy he's doing good. I'm happy that he's doing what God wants him to do and that the Messiah is now here so that the plan of God can unfold. And church, I want you to hear this. I want you to know this. Our job is not to act like or be the Messiah. Our job is not to answer every question. Our job is to point to the one who has the answer for every question and his name is Jesus. That is our job, that is our purpose, and that is our reason. And I said all of these things to you to say this this morning. The Old Testament was God preparing and God getting ready and God letting us know that there's a brokenness in humanity that only the Messiah can fix. There are problems in the heart of humanity that only God through his son Jesus Christ can fix in our lives. The ministry of John the Baptist was to alert people and let people know that the Messiah, the Lamb of God, was on the scene and only he could be the one that would fix the brokenness that was on the inside of people. And then we read these words, probably many of you have heard this in John chapter 3, verse 30. John the Baptist said this, he must become greater and greater and I must become less and less. Jesus must become greater and greater and I need to get less and less. There must always be an ever-increasing Jesus in us and an ever-decreasing us in us. John the Baptist leveraged all of his fame, his popularity, his ministry, his power. He leveraged everything to point to Jesus. He's the one, not me. He's the answer, not me. He's the one that God has ordained to be the Messiah, to be that particular person. The world needed rescuing and he is the rescuer. 
And things have not changed, church. This world still needs to be rescued. And guess what? You and I are the rescuers. I'm sorry, we are not the rescuers. We point to the one who is our rescuer. I think that sometimes we worry too much about saying the right thing, doing the right thing. We're just pointing to Jesus. I think the best and most effective thing is to say, you know what I used to be like, and I used to have this issue, I had those things going on, but guess what? Ever since I, ever since I, I made Jesus the Lord of my life, ever since I started following him, things changed. Things changed. Don't put more pressure on you than you have to put pressure on you. Not up to you. You can plant seeds, you can water seeds, but only God can give the increase of the seeds that are planted. So the rescuer was coming, and I think that we are called to do the same thing. We are not the way, but we help to prepare the way. We help people point the way. We remove obstacles and barriers that might be in the way for people to know and experience Jesus. I don't know. I've said this before. I want to say it again to you. I don't know if you are aware of this, and and maybe this is kind of heart of, of, of a lot of what I want to say to you today. We're not called to come and sit in a building The church is not called to come and sit in a building. I think that somehow the message of go and tell became come and sit. Go and tell or come and sit. Not our job just to come. It's important to be in church. It's important to be in the fellowship of other people. All of those things are important, but there's more to it. When you made Jesus the Lord of your life, the ultimate expression of salvation is not for you to come to church and, 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 you know, do a good thing by sitting here, putting up with me. (laughs) You joined a movement. You joined an army. You joined a community. You joined a family. You joined something that has life and movement and current in it. And all of us, in a sense, have that ministry. All of us have that calling to be like John the Baptist, that we are preparing and that we are alerting and that we are helping come to know Jesus. And so when John said, he must increase and I must decrease. Let me ask you a quick question. How, how are you doing that? I mean, assuming that the Bible, how many of you believe the Bible's true? How many of you believe it's probably a good idea to do what the Bible says to do? If those things are true, now if you're not a follower of Christ, you can quit listening right now for the next few minutes. You don't need to listen to any of this because you are under absolutely no obligation to do these things. But if you are a follower of Christ, If you truly are a follower of Christ that wants to press in, that wants to be a doer of the word of God, you need to consider this. How do I let the Jesus in me get bigger and bigger and how do I step back from my life so that I can use my life, leverage all of everything that I have and everything that I am to point to him? How can I do that? How can Jesus increase in me and I decrease? I, was, I woke up at 4.37 this morning and I'm just going over my, the notes in my head this morning at 6.07. I was still laying in bed and I was still thinking about different things and this thought occurred to me, this idea came to me. How much, it took me an hour and a half, how much of my life is about me? Consider that for a moment. How much of your daily life is about you? How I look how I act, how I feel, what I'm going through, how much this is, how it's going to affect that, my job, my, 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 how much of our life is about me? How much of my life is about him? 
We have work to do. We got quiet in this Baptist church all of a sudden. <laughs> he must increase. I must decrease. How do we do that? Let me give you something. 16 ways that Jesus can increase in your life. There are 16 small groups. I'm too busy. I don't want to get around other people. I don't. I, 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 I. You're as busy as you want to be. Amen. <laughs> small groups are important in your life. Connecting with other believers, being a part of something that is a little bit different where you are being known and you are knowing other people. There are times and seasons in your life you're going to need those other people for what God's asking you to do. Small groups are important in your life. One of the things that I appreciate my, about my wife is not just her sweeping skills. Every morning in the summertime, I know exactly where she's going to be. She's going to be on the corner of a couch in our three-season porch with a couple of books. Every day, she reads scripture. Every day, she does devotions. Every day, she prays for me and for you. In the wintertime, she's going to be on a different couch in a different part of our house where it's warmer, doing the same thing every single day. Puts me to shame sometimes. <laughs> How serious are we about this stuff? We, we cannot just play church and play around. It's time that we get serious with these exceeding great and precious promises so that by these promises we can become a partaker of the divine nature of God. Listen to what Jesus said about John the Baptist in Luke chapter 7. Were you looking for a prophet? He was talking about John the Baptist and he was addressing some people and he said, were you looking for a prophet? Yes. And he is more than a prophet, speaking of John. John is the man to whom the scriptures refer when they say, look, I'm sending my messenger ahead of you and he will prepare your way before you. Older translations use the word prophet. Verse 28, I tell you of all who have ever lived, there is none greater than John. John is the, according to Jesus, he is the greatest prophet. But then notice what he said. Yet even the least person in the kingdom of God is greater than he is. I don't care how little you feel. I don't care how insignificant you think that you are. Because of the new birth, because of what Jesus did on the inside of you, Jesus says, you're greater than John the Baptist. There's a gifting in you. There's a power in you. There's a grace in you. There's things that you can do that nobody else can do. You have been anointed and appointed to stand in the place and the position that you currently are standing in. There are people that you will influence in your life that nobody else can. What time is it? I got a couple of minutes. I got to finish a couple of thoughts. Your calling is greater than John's calling. But again, you're not, see, I think that intimidates and scares us just a little bit because what are we going to say? What are we going to do? How are we going to answer the questions? Again, our job is not to answer every question. It is to point to the one who has all the answers. That's what we're doing. We're pointers. <laughs> Over there. So I used to say when 
I was an associate pastor in a church with Pastor Terry, and I would always say, I, I, I am so blessed to be able to say that the buck stops over there. <laughs> the buck stops there. I'm not, don't, uh-uh, he's over there. He talked to him. He's the one. But that's what we do. We point people to Jesus. That's what we do. You know, in, in February, laid out something. And I just want to give you this statistic. I think it's important and relevant. And this is why, partly why I wanted to say this to you. Pew Research did some studies and Americans that identify as Christians. In the year 2007, there were 78% of the U.S. population that identified as a Christian. Now, again, we could argue with what that means and how Christian are they. In 2019, it was 65%. In 2022, it was 63%. 63%. Six and a half million less people identify as Christians than just a couple of years ago. You know what that tells us? We're going backwards. Again, go and tell has become sit and listen or not even sit, not even listen, not even be involved, not even be a part. And I think that there are days that are coming to this earth that we need. We're going to need the fellowship above the believers. We're going to need the encouragement of other believers. We're going to need the iron that sharpens iron, which is why I think it is so important. It is so in my heart. I just wanted to share this very quickly with you. In February, we talked about five stones, five stones for the season of ministry that we are in. And I tend to get caught up in times. I tend to get caught up in, in, I shared it a couple of weeks ago. I'm here and I want to be there, but my desire to be there causes me to devalue the here that I am in, the here that God wants to develop some things in me, the here that God wants to remove some things from me, the here that I need to learn through and grow through and become stronger in so that when I get there, which when I'm there, my there becomes here. (laughs) I know it's a little bit confusing in Pastor Brian's mind after a lot of caffeine, but that's what I was thinking at the time. My here or my there becomes here as soon as I get here. And God wants to change some things in me over the old here that was over there now. God wants to change some things in here so that when I get here, I'm going to be able to stand. I'm going to be able to persevere. I'm going to be able to do what he wants me to do. In Habakkuk, it says to write the vision and make it plain so that he that reads it can run with it. But then he says, be patient for it. It's going to come. And again, we get caught up in time. Habakkuk, yeah, thank you for putting it up there. The Lord said to me, write my answer on a billboard, large and clear so that anyone can read it at a glance. Here's the billboard right here. And rush to tell others, but these things I plan will not happen right away. Pastor Brian does not like that. We live in an instant society. Man, we want to Google it. We want to get it on, on Amazon, have it delivered to our doorstep in two days. Woohoo! That's the day we live in. How many of you know God is not Amazon. God has not been in a hurry about a whole lot of things. Amen. But these things I plan will not happen right away, slowly, steadily, surely. The time approaches when the vision will be fulfilled. If it seems slow, do not despair. For these things will surely come to pass. Just be patient. They will not be overdue a single day. I get caught up in time. I get caught up in timelines. I get caught up in deadlines. I get caught up in all of that stuff. This is not that. I express to you five things in my heart 
that I think are important for where we are today. Number one, we want to bless our neighborhoods. We want to bless our the, the areas that we live in. And we do that begins by prayer. It begins by us listening to our neighbors, by us engaging them, by us finding ways that we can serve them so that ultimately we can tell the story of why we do and why we believe. We want to be a blessing. We want to expand our digital outreach because there are a whole lot of people. I know that people, sometimes we fight little fights about different things. You know, should we or shouldn't we church online and all these stuff? People need to be together in the house of God. Amen. Agree 100%. But some people cannot be together in the house of God. There are people who watch this service. Well, they don't watch it while they're driving down the road. That would be dangerous. Oh, the Bible does say watch and pray. That's why you pray with your eyes open when you're driving. But there are people who watch these services because they work on Sunday morning. They work shift work and they're working late on Saturday night. There are people that have kids that are sick. There are people that are themselves uh, uh, unable to travel. And so they watch the service online. It is a way to keep people connected, but it is also a way for that content to be heard again. How many of you ever heard, sat in a service and said, man, that was really good. I need to hear that again. If you've ever been that person, guess what? It's there. Or maybe you can tell somebody, hey, I heard something in church. Why don't you go listen to this? And I think this will help you in what you're going through. That's part of the reason that we do that. It is to help people connect, but it is also help in our consistency of the word of God. We're going to raise a million dollars. Why? Number one, we're going to pay off debt. Number two, we got stuff we got to fix. And we have paid off about 100 at the beginning of the, when we launched this in February, we had about seven, I got numbers right over here. I know that our payoff number at the end of August was $574,941. But when we started, uh, yeah, we started at $745,000 and we paid off 140, 104, 105,000, nope, I don't know, $105,000 in debt. You have paid off in the last seven months. Amen. Amen. Give yourselves a great big, thank you. Thank you for that. How are we doing it? We're asking you to get involved. $25 a square foot. We have 47,000 square feet under roof at $25. Brings us a little bit over a million dollars. That wasn't a one-time thing. You can buy, buy a, a square foot a week, every week for the rest of your life. We would be okay with that. And I know some of you kind of double dip because you helped get this building off the ground, get it going. Thank you for that. But I tell you what, this is a game changer, getting this building paid off. This is a game changer for this church to be able to do that. So thank you for that. And uh, we're, we're, gonna, we're gonna accomplish that. It's gonna happen. An emphasis on prayer. An emphasis on prayer. Nothing is accomplished and nothing happens without prayer. And then the second mile, which is our second mile, we... I, I'm so glad that we have the second mile right now, and it's, we're still figuring it out. We're still working on it. But in this season that Pastor Josh can't be with us, and whatever happens there, I tell you what, it's just a mess. And so it's far more complicated than it was a month ago or a month and a half ago, and, and there's just a lot of, we need a miracle. We really, really do. But I, I thank, I'm thankful for Jordan Gettlinger. Amen. 
We didn't know it. She didn't know it. Only God knew it, but she's now an intern. <laughs> We've asked her to step in, and actually we thought it was going to be for a month or two. Who knows? She's going to step in for a while and do that. Pastor Steph is going to come over and help a little bit. Uh, you know, she's our children's pastor, and Pastor Steph, uh, we have Isaiah Weeks, another one of our interns. Interns. He's going to be able to step in and help when, when Pastor Steph is over here. Pastor Steph has a baby on board that will do. Uh, uh, she's The baby is due. Uh, she's due the end of November. Grandpa Dad's really excited and really happy about that new baby coming, but Pastor Brian's not all that excited because that means that Pastor Steph has gone from November and December, kind of really important seasons and times in the life of this church. But I'm thankful that, that God in his wisdom, uh, you know, this whole idea of, of, of starting to build this ministry into other people is so important. And so I, I said all these things to say to you this morning that this church, as I've said many times, moves at the speed of we. John the Baptist was great. Jesus said, you're the greatest prophet ever, but the least in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever feels like the least at Joy Christian Center, you're still greater than John the Baptist because of the life of God and the purpose of God that's on the inside of you. This church moves at the speed of we. We are a family church teaching people to reach this world. Acts 8, 5, and 8 says this. Philip went to the city of Samaria and he preached Christ to them. Not church dogma, not religion, not denomination, not personal preference, not the do's and don'ts. He preached Jesus. And as a result, there was great joy in the city. That passion burns deep on the inside of me that you and I would so fully embrace the word of God, the spirit of God, and the call of God that wherever we would go, there would be joy. Joy unspeakable and full of glory because people would find the answer to their problems, the solution to their pains, and his name is Jesus. Would you bow your heads with me? In fact, would you all stand with me this morning? Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you for this church. Thank you for the men and women that are in this congregation. Thank you for what you're doing in our hearts and in our lives. I thank you, Father, for vision unfolding and, and that each day, each week, each month, and each year, we are, we are pursuing and we are possessing vision that you've laid out in front of us. But Father, we move at the speed of we, and I pray that you would unlock and break down barriers that we have in our hearts and in our minds. That, Father, we would be like John who'd say, Jesus in me needs to increase, and I need to be less and less. With your heads bowed, eyes closed, if you're here today and you've never made Jesus as the Lord of your life, as your Savior, if you're here today and say, Pastor, I, I, I want to accept Jesus as my Savior. There's a brokenness in me that I've tried to fill with a lot of different things, but I believe that Jesus is the answer. If you're here today, would you just lift your hand? I want to pray a quick, simple prayer with you. Just hold your hand up real high this morning. So I can see it. Just wave it for a second. If you're online, there's people that are ready to pray with you, people that want to pray with you. If you want to respond in that way, uh, that would be great as well. Praise God. All right, Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you for this congregation. I thank you that as we leave this place, we leave with a mission. We leave with a mandate to prepare the way for people to 
get to know Jesus, to remove obstacles and barriers so that people can know who he is. And so, Father, I pray that you would anoint these people, that you would give them a grace and a joy in their heart that is unmistakable. And people will ask about it. And when people ask about it, they will say, it's because Jesus who lives in me. I don't have to be afraid. And I'm not anxious. And I'm not worried like everybody else is. I thank you for that. In the name of Jesus and everyone says, amen. God bless you. Have a great day. And we will see you next week.